This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to episode 184. This works into that. Like if I were using like a very, like an acrylic base, like a very solid sequel coat type of smooth finish paint, I would have to work very, very hard and a lot of sanding and a lot of distressing to get this type of look. It's very easy when you choose, you know, the right paint for the look that you're after. Today we are revisiting our interview from Season 2 with Jeannie of Blush Vintage as we discussed knowing the right type of paint or the specific finish you want to achieve. Ella with Elemental Furniture shares insight on using foils in this week's refinishing tip. In our question of the week, furniture refinishing friends Ashley with Blue Ren Interiors, Kate with Kate's Reclaim, Joe with Click to Restore, Jeannie with Blush Vintage, and Bethany with Wallflower Collection share what they did before they began refinishing furniture. Stay with us, friends. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. There are so many types of finishes a furniture artist can achieve these days, and so we decided to refeature a conversation we had with Jeannie of Blush Vintage. She references a few of her pieces and how she achieved the look. With that said, we have them featured on our website, enjoyzebra.com. Simply scroll to the bottom and click on podcast, and you can see them as you listen. By the way, you can also listen to previous podcasts there as well. Well, before we dive into these pieces, Jeannie, I want to ask you a few questions about achieving specific finishes on your furniture pieces. Um, and, and just for clarity's sake, for our listeners, maybe we've got some you know newbies, uh, you know, that are just like really newbies starting out. And so, define for us what you mean when you talk about a finish. Is that also the same as a technique to achieve a specific look? Um. Yes. Yeah. Just the overall how it looks when it's finished. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. When you are, you know, sort of in your creative brainstorming process and you're thinking about what should I do with this piece? And then the light, you know, the the light bulb comes on and you're like, now I know what to do with it. But maybe it's not just a very solid, simple, you know, finish. And it's maybe more complex. Do you experiment on scrap wood before you tackle the project or do you just go for it? Mm, I'm kind of a wing it type of gal. <laughs> so, but the only thing I will kind of experiment with, um, if I'm doing like a blendy and artistic finish with multiple colors or like a kind of a technique that was texture that I'm trying out, I will do, um, the back of the piece first. I end up doing most, I'd say like 99% of the backs of my pieces. And that's mm-hmm. where I'll start out with my idea of what I'm, you know, what I think I'm going to do to try it out. And then, you know, work my way around to the front if I like what I'm seeing. Wow, that's another great idea, too. Uh, Yeah, and and some people think it's a waste because, oh, it's typically against the wall. But I have had people ask, like, oh, is the back finished, too, because they want to float it in a room? Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's behind a sofa and just, like, a few inches is showing. But, you know, they want to have that back um, I don't, it doesn't, it takes slightly more work and yes, you're using more product, but I just, I think it just looks so nice when it's all done. And then it does give you that room for experimentation before you, you know, start on the big show, the front part <laughs> of it. So, <Yeah. laughs> right. What type of paint do you enjoy using the most? Like if somebody said, Jeannie, pick a, pick a type quickly, you know, and you could choose, what would you, what would you? Oh man, I really do like them all and they're, 
I like them all for different reasons, but like I do, if I think about it, my, if I have just have my way with a piece, do whatever I want, I usually tend to lean for like a milk paint or a chalk paint, something I do something blendy and fun and artistic on. So probably one of those two, but I mean, there is something just the milk paint is so fun. And also like, I like the, some people like the, don't like the control that they don't have control over milk paint. And I love mm-hmm. giving up the control. I'm like it's going to do whatever it's good. Maybe it'll crackle. Maybe it'll chip. Maybe, you know, like I like just yeah. whatever happens, happens. Roll the dice. That's a lot of the fun, isn't it? Just kind of watching it work. It's like an experiment. Well, anyone who scrolls through your feed, Jeannie, will see that you try a lot of different types of finishes and you do them all very well. So as we continue to discuss this topic, let's go ahead and dive into the specific pieces that we're going to chat about today. The first piece we'll discuss is a dresser that has a blue jean sort of look to it in color and in finish. And so speaking of finish, tell us how you achieve this look and also where you came up with this idea. So this one I used, the one with that it has the milk paint on, or I'm sorry, not the milk paint, uh, the milk glass on top. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Because there's two blue feet. Um, yeah. So that one I use Miss Mustard Seeds Milk Paint and Artismo. And this was just one of those times where I'm like, I'm going to do something with milk paint. I don't really know what yet. But, um, <laughs> I mixed, I, these are several different layers of milk paint and varying degrees of dilution with the water. So typically it's a one-to-one ratio of the powder to water that you mix it up with. But then I, I did that. And then I did where there was other coats with much more water in. So it was a little bit more, um, see-through not as opaque mm-hmm. and i did mm-hmm. i my one of my favorite kind of tricks or methods for getting that kind of old texture is crosshatch painting so going all in one direction for one coat and then doing the opposite so you're creating the crosshatch direction of like the second or third or fourth coat of paint so then it gives you a little bit more interest a little bit more something going on i think in the finish so when you got this piece what kind of shape was it in it was in very decent shape. I kind of felt a little guilty <laughs> for all those <laughs> purists out there that just love wood furniture. It seemed to have been refinished sometime. Like it wasn't the original finish. Someone had refinished it and refinished it pretty nicely, but it was worn, you know, not, not brand new, but, um, so it was in really good shape. Um, but I just had a vision for this, uh, blue to use it. So you said you used several layers. So um, so you cleaned it up really well. Did you scuff sand it? Yes, I did. Okay, so you did that. And then what was like the first, because I was trying, I'm not looking at it before. You may have one on there, but I didn't uh, didn't grab that. But what was, was it a light, was it a darker stained piece? It was, yes. It was like a very neutral dark brown. Because some of that's still showing through, which is, Uh, what makes it really cool. You can still see some of that. Yes. Yes. So you scuff sanded it. And then what did you lay down? Did you lay down? Was it, um, was it a dark blue or is that just the, the, the original stain shining through that I'm seeing? Oh, I see. Yes. So that's, um, it's, it's all one color. It's artismo is the color and it's dark blue. And it was a a full, it was a one-to-one ratio of the milk paint and the water, and then it chipped very heavily. And then that's when I went in with the, after that chipped and I took a razor and helped it along, then I started layering on the um, less opaque 
layers of that paint. Okay, got you. Okay. To where you're seeing, like you're seeing it come, the very dark blue that you're seeing uh-huh. is actually um, a very thin layer of the blue over the wood. Absolutely. No, it does. And I, and that's that's cool to know that, uh, especially for our listeners, if they want to try to achieve this look, because it's it's such an incredible look. I mean, it is very unique and it's just, it's just quite beautiful. And so to it, and and I, I assume when you're doing something, especially when you got to the third layer, what is that like? I mean, are you like I mean, obviously you're up close on it. Are you like stepping away from it, going back? I mean, how does that what's that process like? Oh, I, again, just winging it. <laughs> just, I'm like, when it feels right, it feels right. I'm like, okay, this, my work here is done. It just felt like it was like, okay, I like this now. And I don't want to, you know, mess around with anything else. It's time to put down the brush <laughs> and, and top coat. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. Now, what was the level of difficulty on this piece? On Let's, let's, let's rate it from a scale of a, of one to 10. 10 being the most difficult, how would you rate this particular piece? Oh, super easy. Like a, like a two or three. Really? Yeah. I think anyone could really do this finish. It's not really me. It's doing anything, you know, not having a ton of talent or anything by getting this finish. It's letting the milk paint do its thing. Just letting it chip where it chips and slapping on some paint. And also too, this is not a very clean, precise finish. You're just throwing on the paint and the more texture, the better. So it's very, um, I think, beginner friendly and user friendly. If this is like, if you're new to painting furniture, this would be a very easy finish to achieve that you don't need to have, you know, years of experience. So you're not standing on your head while you're painting to, to get this look. Nothing unique like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just a matter of knowing how the product works. I mean, I guess that would be the only experience is having faith in, okay, I know what's going to happen if I use less water or more water when I'm mixing up the milk paint. No, it's just letting milk paint do its thing. <laughs> yeah, it'd be so interesting to, um, it'd be rather humiliating for me, but I was going to say, if we had a time lapse of you painting this, and then you had a time lapse of me trying to paint this, <laughs> it would be, <laughs> I mean, people would be like, what is he doing? Why is he going through that process? No, it, no. I don't know. It just, it's just because of the look and the, and the, um, the way it turned out, it just looks like there would be a lot involved in it, but it's just, it's really neat now. Well, I think this is where like choosing the right paint for the finish you're after, this works into that. Like if I were using like a very, like an acrylic base, like a very solid single coat type of smooth finish paint, I would have to work very, very hard and a lot of sanding and a lot of distressing to get this type of look. So choosing when I knew I wanted this very chippy worn look, reaching for milk paint to achieve this, just it's very easy when you choose you know, the right paint for the look that you're after. Yeah. And I think what you said is key with this particular piece is the dilution of the milk paint and knowing again, that there's the rule, the one-to-one ratio, but you can go beyond that, right? It's just experimenting with it, stepping outside of the sort of the, the, uh, the bounds of even what you do typically with milk paint and making it more transparent and just playing around with it. And that's what you did on this piece and, and, uh, really turned out nice. Thank you you um, really sealed it well with the hardware too. I mean, that's, that's great, great choice there. Oh, I love a white porcelain knob. They're just, I don't know. There's something about them, isn't there? (laughs) It just makes it very striking. 
you know, and it, it just allows good contrast be, to, uh, to, to be had between the piece itself and the hardware. And that, that's what really makes it nice as well. Thank you. So is this in your home? Did you sell it? What happened to it? No, I sold this one was for sale. I sold this, but actually a very good friend of mine bought it. So I can still see it whenever I would like. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. That's cool. Yeah. Well, this next piece is really unique as well. Uh, it is the dipped furniture look. Uh, is this a dresser or a sideboard? This is, I guess you could... I mean, it's, I guess technically it's like a sideboard or a buffet, but someone, I could totally mm-hmm. see someone using this as like a baby changing station as like a dresser. But this piece actually I did for my sister-in-law. I was, I, I was over at her, they have a very big TV and they just had this little teeny tiny, like it was very short, like coffee table height and way skinnier than the TV was. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, do you like that piece that your TV's on? She's like, I never thought about it. I'm like, I'm just going to do a piece for in here. And she's like, okay. Like she does, she's like, whatever. And she's so sweet. So I just wanted to wh- whip something up for her. She's the best uh, sister-in-law ever. So <laughs> I bet she was blown away with this. Yeah, she really, really loved it. So that was, I was really happy. Describe it for our listeners, like, uh, you know, for those that may be driving or refinishing and they're like, what are they talking about? What does this piece look like? If you would just, just give some details about it. Oh, okay. Well, it's, um, it's all oak and I taped off the, the top of it and the first set of drawers going across the width of the piece are all stained. And then I taped off just under those drawers um, and painted everything white. So that's where the dipped look comes in. Like if you just had this big crane and you dipped it in a vat of paint and took it out, <laughs> that's the look that you would come up with. I think that's probably what you did, Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> You're on to me, my crane dipping. <laughs> I know. Yep. <laughs> you, got, you got a crane in your backyard, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was pretty quick then to do this job? No, no, not at all. <laughs> See, I am so it, messed up. Here I thought the first one was like, you know, really complex. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this one's a little bit easier, but I guess well, I got that wrong. I mean, nothing is too hard. It's just a lot of... um timing and waiting and waiting between steps, waiting the proper amount of time. Um, So for this one, when I found it, it was almost like a neon orange stain of oak, which I'm sure we've all Mm. seen that kind of oak stained look. And it's just not so cute anymore. Um, So I had to completely strip since I wanted to stain the top portion that all needed to be completely stripped of any stain or um, old finish that was on it so that's you know a task in itself like fully stripping something as opposed to just prep sanding it are two you know completely different Mm -hmm. things and then what was the next there was a lot of different steps with this then I stained stained the um the brown part waited 72 Mm -hmm. hours and then taped it off because I wanted to make sure the stain was fully dry. And I did use the yellow frog tape for delicate surfaces. I taped off where I wanted the line to be. And then um, a little trick or tip about when you're painting a new, like when you want your, your paint line to be perfect and no bleed through, I put a coat of clear shellac 
down first over the tape line and then proceeded to put the shellac all the way down since I was painting something white. But that way, if anything bleeds through a little bit, it's just that clear shellac, which you won't notice on the brown stained piece on the top part. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. That's a, that's a great idea. So then I did, um, after that clear coat of shellac, then I did the white bin shellac and then painted it in um, a few layers of cashmere, heavily distressed. Um, you can't really tell from the picture, but I distressed it. And I, there is a lot of texture. Um, I used the chalk paint specifically for texture and I knew I wanted to distress it. So that was going to make my life easier. And then once it was all done, I top coated everything with a water-based poly all at the mm -hmm. same time. The, the entire piece. The entire piece. And then the only caveat with using water-based poly over an oil-based stain is waiting 72 hours. So, and that by the time I was done with all the painting and <laughs> that, it had been 72 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's another good tip. Like what we see in the front, did you do the back on this one as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, so she can float this piece anywhere then. She can if she wants to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and this one, I also added new um, hardware, oak hardware, to, so it would match the grain of, you know, the oak wood that the piece was made of. But it had some kind of just dated, not, nothing too exciting metal hardware on it. So. Well, you did a good job with that. I would have thought that was the, the handles of the hardware that came with it. Well, thank you. That was what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got spot on on that. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Well, I kind of asked this question, but I still want to find out the scale. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate this piece? Um, uh, I'm not good at rating things, Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jeannie. Um, No, I will. I will. I'm just, um, let me think. Maybe like a five or a six. It really, I mean, it really wasn't that hard. There was just a lot of steps and then just a lot of small things of knowing um, the order in which to do the steps and the timing of everything. But um, I mean, that's something that you can easily research, you know, and, and find yeah. out about. So I don't think that's too hard. So, so really, I'm, what I'm what I'm getting out of these ratings uh, <laughs> is that your rating, at least for you, is based on kind of a time thing. If it's something that you can get in there and kind of whip it out fairly quickly, then it's it's easier. I mean, you're rating it as an easier piece. It's the 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 amount of waiting and steps and processes that you go through. Yeah, I'd say so because I, you know, it's hard and that's why it's hard for me to rate it because I find it so enjoyable. So it's hard to say, like, I, I, I had a good time while I was doing this. So like that to me takes like shaves a few points off the hard, you know, make it hard to what it makes yeah. you like a difficult finish. Um, but yeah, the timing thing, since I sell, you know, well this, I didn't sell, I just, I gave, gave it to her, but, um, I don't, yeah, the timing for sure, you have to keep in mind if you're spending a lot of time on a piece and then by the time you go to sell it, it's like, well, you could have had two or three pieces done in that time. It doesn't really make sense, you know, financially be working on these pieces that take a lot of time and you can only, you know, ask so much for them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point because that is a challenge, you know, when it comes to refinishing, you know, because some pieces that you see are just very intricate. And I'm sure it took a lot, of, a lot of work, a lot of time on behalf of the artist. And 
you know, the question in the end is they, you know, they enjoyed it and it turned out great, but were they able to make a profit off of it based on the amount of time that they spent materials used and then what they were able to charge for it. And so that's, that's, it's a business that you always got to think about those things. Right. Because just because you've spent three times the amount of time you normally would, you can try to charge more for that to, you know, accommodate your time, but something is only worth what someone's willing to pay. So if it kind of makes it, a very long, tedious finish kind of pushes it out of the ballpark of what someone would pay for it, then it's like, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't do this for, you know, this type of finish. Unless it gives you great joy and you don't care, then, you know, go for it. But if you want to keep your, you know, eye on the prize of the, of your, your, your income, then that's something to consider. Yeah. Hi, this is Laura from Redhead Refinishings. And this podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. Zebra brushes are awesome because they are so lightweight and very easy to use. Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing about your experience with Zebra paintbrushes. We so value our customer friends. Well, the next piece is a piece that you made into two pieces and you say that it's your favorite. And so did you buy this piece? Was it given to you? Was this for a client? Tell, tell us a little bit about this piece. Oh, I came across this piece. It's, it's a buffet or credenza. And then it had a hutch top, a matching hutch top that goes on top of it. And I came across it at the thrift. And I was like, oh, should I? Shouldn't I? And I texted Emily, one of the, also one of the furniture art collective, you know, judges um, from 1379 mm-hmm. Design. And I said, do I get this? Do I not choose? Are you crazy? <laughs> you better get that. And it was only $20. So I don't oh know why goodness. I was Are you like, serious? yeah, but sometimes, that, well, that's, I think I was thinking about it was intricate and there was a lot of work that was going to go into it. So even though it was only $20, I was thinking, okay, is this going to be worth it for me for the amount of time that it, you know, that it would take to do this sort of thing. Um, but I bought it because she told me to. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it so cheap? I, you know, who knows? Who depends on the way the wind is blowing when they're pricing at um, the thrift. Sometimes, sometimes I, I look at something, I'm like, "What?" It's like eighty dollars for nothing special, like particle board, and then yeah. sometimes it's twenty dollars for this beautiful mahogany buffet. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know who's pricing. Well, I- I was wondering if there was some like structural damage to it, you know, where it really dropped, it made the price, the value on it much lower than what, what it you would perceive it to be just by looking at it. Yeah, I know. I don't, I think sometimes if they have a lot of furniture, it seems like they're, um, they price things lower, maybe to move it. I don't know. Or maybe it's one of those things, beauty is in the eye of the beholder and they look at that at it and thought, old, dated, yeah. you know, who would want this <laughs> sort of thing? You know, but meanwhile, that $80 Ikea dresser is over there and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Now, do you, are you ever, when you're out shopping like that and you see a piece that's big, I mean, this is not something you just pick up and stick in the back of your trunk. Do, are you ever sort of discouraged from getting it because you're like, oh, but I don't, I mean, I got to, how am I going to get this back to the studio? How am I going to get this back to my garage? Oh, no, I, I throw everything in the van. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a problem for you. Yeah, not, I have a minivan and the seats all roll down into each other. 
Um, and I'm short, so I can drive pretty far up if I push my seat all, <laughs> all the way up. I'm I'm comfortable to drive like that. I can well, fit. You got face I, plan up against the window here, Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fit a lot of big things. I have a Instagram highlight of me unloading. Like I had oh a bunch of pieces in the van. Um, so that's I've not found anything yet where I can't fit it in. But mm-hmm. this one, I think I took, uh, we threw the, the, the credenza part on the bottom and then the hutch top we put in the top over it with a blanket in between and it all fit in. I could have fit some more stuff that day too, if I really wanted to, a few small pieces. <laughs> so you, so you've got this, this piece that's in two pieces and I s- assume they went to different customers. Yes. Yes, they did. Well, the first, the first part I worked on was the the lower half and Mm -hmm. it had this really neat, um, the top drawer, I I believe it's called a Butler's pantry Mm -hmm. or a Butler's buffet. I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. I can't remember, but it, it looks like a drawer, but, and you pull it out, but then it flaps down like a secretary desk. And then there are all these little slots in there and, um, two little doors in the middle. And it had, it did have, um, a key, but I, it did not come with a key. So I went to a uh, house of antique hardware and ordered a ring of reproduction antique keys, which have come in handy. Mm-hmm. There's the other ones for other pieces, but I found a key that fit this one. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know where it's going. <laughs> No, that's that's cool. I didn't I didn't even know you could do that. That's that's neat. Uh, you know, you listed this piece as your favorite, and I assume you're talking about the the base, the bottom portion, because there's it's you, what you did to the top was it, you painted it white, and it looks like you put legs on it or little short legs, uh, and so it's 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 very unique. It's pretty. Uh, it, it's but it's a different look than the bottom. And the bottom is, would you call it, it's like a blue, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's a blue. I don't know. I always seem to end up coming with a lot of people say these denim finishes or blue, looks like blue jeans. And I always think I'm like, oh, I'm doing something <laughs> totally different. They're like, it looks like blue jeans. I'm like, oh, well, blue jeans are cool. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So for the, for the top part, I added um, bun feet um, and then I, it had, no shelves in the interior when I found it. So I had gotten poplar shelves cut to size at my local um, lumber yard. And then I got a custom, they do glue up tops and whatever size you need, they can do it. So I had them glue that up for me. And um, I just, you know, adhered it then to, to the top. Now explain that glue up top. So you had them cut a top to fit because uh, it overhangs a little bit. Uh, is it is it a piece of molding and a top piece? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's just, um, so it's, if you can envision planks of wood, say one by, you know, four or, or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I think for this particular one, it was one solid piece and there was a little middle part that stuck out. So they do a glue up where they glue the two pieces of wood, you know, side by side together uh-huh. to make it a plank top. It's all one piece and it's they mm-hmm. um cut biscuits and then glue it together okay yeah does that make sense i hope i'm explaining yeah. that <laughs> no no you did i just i just wanted yeah. to clarify that uh, uh for yeah. not just the listeners but for myself as well i was it's something that someone could do themselves and i've seen it done i just 
I don't do it myself. I should one of these times for as much as I end up utilizing these plank, these glued up tops um, from this lumber yard. I should learn how to do it myself, but I just um, don't and I just pay them to do it and it's nice and it's perfect and it's one of those things of time and money like for the amount that it costs me to have them do it it's saving me a ton of time so I think it's worth it because for the bottom part I got an uh white I used white oak for the top and had another Uh glued up top made from them for that well you you know you know what your um productivity productivity level is and what you need to be working on and sometimes it doesn't make sense for you to do everything if you have access to somebody who can do it for you well i the one thing i was thinking of was like a craig a craig's jig you know where you can um it drills the holes you flip it upside down you put the planks together and you clamp it and then it drills those holes underneath like pocket holes and then uh, you can also glue it and then drill the hole. So there's, you know, there's a process involved, but it does take some time to do that. So that's neat that you have a Yes. Source. And I have a Craig jig in its box, in its original box, not opened. <laughs> 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 I just, it's one of those things where I know it's going to make me cuckoo and take way too long. So I would just rather have someone else do it. And it's a local, it's not a big box store. It's a local lumber yard. So, you know, it's good. Yeah, that's nice. No, well, it's it's also, it's a good way to network too. I mean, they know what you're doing and uh, I'm sure they, they tell folks if, you know, about this furniture finisher who's pumping out some really beautiful work. And so that's, that's <laughs> neat. It works for both, both parties involved. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about the, the look, the finish that you achieved, the way you described the first one we talked about, and I called it sort of a blue jean look too. You used milk paint and three layers. What, what was involved in achieving this look? Because, you know, listeners, you're definitely going to have to go out and look if you're not, because, you know, these aren't just solid pieces. They're pieces that, that are unique. Um, and even if Jeannie went out to replicate it, she could, but it still would be different, right? I mean... That's that's the way oh, these things work. Yeah, I can't replicate my own work when it comes to these artistic finishes. I've had people that have asked for something, and I I do you know tell them that you know it's just with these artistic finishes, it's I can get the vibe of the other one. I can use the same colors, but it just I'm I'm a different person from last year when I did that piece. I can't <laughs> I can't do it again. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you clean this down. Did you scuff sand it? Tell us what went on and how you achieved this look. This one was, um, yeah, cleaned. And then I sanded it down. And then this one did need some Bondo work on some pieces, which is my favorite filler to use. And then it was primed with clear shellac because I, I knew I wanted to have some of the wood um, coming through. So, you know, if this was more of like a solid piece and it was, I was doing this light blue, I might've reached for a primer that was gray or white. Um, Mm -hmm. but since I wanted the wood to show through, I went with clear. And then this was you, I used a frottage technique, um, Mm. which is you. Okay. So the base was painted in Annie Sloan's Ubsen blue, which is like a dark to mid tone, um, kind of teal blue color. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you take to do the frottage technique, so you have that single color finish. You take watered down 
chalk paint, which I used Louis Blue in this case, which is like a light baby blue. And you paint that on just, you know, every which way, as Annie says. And then you take um, either paper towel or newspaper and you almost like it's a reverse sponge paint. So you're mm -hmm. instead of with a sponge paint, you're putting the paint on the surface, right? So now with this, you're taking it off. It's absorbing that watered down paint that you've put on. So you've just painted it. It's still wet. You're taking a paper towel or sponge and, and sort of lifting up some of that excess. Right. So I'm lifting up that lighter Louis blue to reveal some of that obsin blue that's darker uh -huh. that's underneath. Wow. And so do you do that more than once? Is that just, uh, so you lay down the base, then you put that down and then you lift it back up with this technique. Yes, this is something I just kind of keep going round robin until I like. Like I work, I start on one side and keep working my way around the whole piece, um, and then I step back and kind of see where I'm like, okay, we need a little something there or over here. Um, and with these sort of artistic blendy finishes like this, I like to have the the if there's drawers that can be taken out, I like to leave them in so it's cohesive. Mm -hmm. Um, so it looks good because if I were to have the drawers out, it would kind of, they wouldn't, it wouldn't meet up and it might be a little bit different here or there. And you did the same thing with the hardware too, correct? Yes, I did. I took off, um, the hardware so I could thoroughly clean it and then I primed it. But then I did, the only part I did with, you know, how you have the drawers in, drawers out, um, I did the hardware on its own because I I don't know. I just, I didn't want to have them in. I didn't, if they ever, for some reason, took the hardware off and there was that plain wood behind it. I just, I didn't like the idea of that. So, and also I yeah. wanted the hardware to stand out a little bit. So I was okay with if it was slightly varying than how the wood, you know, the piece was looking itself, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. In fact, if you look at the right side, all the way to the right side, the hardware at the top drawer is is like what you're talking about because the background is a little bit lighter but then the hardware at least from the photograph the hardware looks a little bit darker so it's it's kind of a neat balance everything blends in really well but that one piece of hardware uh, stands out just like on the left one there's a section where the left side of the hardware stands out a little bit too so yeah exactly the only hardware i didn't take out was the um for the pull down that secretary drawer mm -hmm. because to remove the hardware i would have had to remove the leather that was inside and it was really intact and super you know, down really nice, like adhered really well still. So I'm like, I am not going to mess with that. I will leave that there because what if I can't get it down and, and glued in just as nice as how I found it? So I thought, okay, for those we'll do, we'll leave them in. But all the other ones I, I took out. When you're painting a piece like this and you're not removing the drawers, uh, so how do you keep, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question. So how do you keep paint from like going underneath the drawer and sticking, you know what I'm saying? Once it's dry, yes. so you've like, how does that work? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I actually have um, a couple of videos where I show this on my Facebook, where I've done lives, okay. where I show this exact question if someone wants a visual. But I paint it all in, and then as soon as I'm done painting for that layer of paint or that, you know, session of painting, I take them out. 
right away and I wipe down, especially if I have my little water bottle spritzer and I'm spraying, uh, like mm-hmm. water can pool and paint can pool um, on the tracks and on the underneath of the drawer. So I pull them out right away when I'm all done very carefully, very gingerly and wipe everything down. Um, and then two, like I have, so I paint without knobs in and pulls in. So you'll have the little holes and I just take screwdriver, two screwdrivers, one in each hand and put them in the holes. And then if you slightly tip the screwdriver back towards you a little bit and then pull it out, Mm -hmm. it's enough to pull out the drawer without touching what you just painted on it. It just is touching within the, the hole of the, for the hardware. Right. Man, you're just full of all kinds of great tips. (laughs) <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's that's a really cool idea. Now, what about, uh, it, it, it's, it's not a shiny finish, it's a matte finish. Did you wax this or did you just put a matte finish poly on it? For this one, I did use <clears throat> a wax for it because mm-hmm. it was for the body of it. And I thought, oh, it's this isn't like um, a huge use type piece you know, like a wear and tear, like a a child's dresser or, you know, desk or something like that. So I did use, uh, I believe, did I use a clear wax or a white wax for this one? I don't know, but wax was involved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Either way, wax, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's that dreaded question, scale of one to 10. Ooh. Um, I need to be playing the Jeopardy music. (laughs) It wasn't hard. I know you want a fast answer. I'm feeling pressure. I'm starting to sweat. Um, Maybe like a five or so. If I had to do the the glued up top for it myself, I'd put it at like a a 27. (laughs) Of a hardness. (laughs) I don't see why you're not doing the (laughs) glue. That's very wise that you're having that outsourced. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I feel like you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. That is not one of mine. I don't, it could be, but for right now, I know, I know it's not. So, you know, hiring that out mm-hmm. made my life very easy. So yeah, not, not that hard. I don't think. See these playful, that's why I love doing these fun finishes. They're not hard. It's just playing with paint, which I think is very fun. So it's, I don't consider that taking a lot of, um, I don't know, effort or making it my life hard while I'm, I'm doing it. I think it's, it's fun. No pressure, you know? I mean, it sounds like, because you said there were two, correct me if I'm wrong, but two steps involved and you laid down the base coat and then you laid down the second coat and then you dabbed it up. So that, I mean, that all can be done in one day, right? Oh Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not hard. It's not labor intensive. It's just, I look at it as it's just plain. So why why was this one your favorite? Um, I think because I like variety and this being one piece when I found it and then turning it into two pieces was really fun. Also, this was the first time I ever got a um a top, a glued up top mm-hmm. for um a piece. So that was kind of I like new. So I'm like, ooh, this is fun ordering this up. And then I had never tried this frotage. Um technique before so I liked that a lot and then the the hutch top I'd always wanted to turn one into like a a bookshelf and put feet on it so that was something fun that I was able Mm -hmm. to do and that one actually threw a lot of curveballs because getting 
the glass back in it was this bubble glass that bubbled out in between the framing of the the crosshatch mm-hmm. framing of the glass. I couldn't use the rubber um, trim to put the glass back mm-hmm. in. I had to brainstorm <laughs> a lot of different ways, and I tried a few different things. Um, but ended up going with these little, um, they're for screen doors, like to hold it in. So I, they're like yeah. little clips. So I ended up doing that, um, to put that back in. So even though that was a challenge for me, it was fun to try to, you know, brainstorm and troubleshoot, um, what to do with it. So I liked it. Wow. Well, that's excellent. Well, Jeannie, what general recommendations do you have for refinishers to keep it simple when choosing the right paint for the right finish or look? I would say first think about what the look is that you're after now so say you want a very clean finish now if you would have asked me about one of my pieces that were a clean finish super sleek I would have said that is like a nine or a ten just because that to me it takes a lot of there's not a lot of room for error and it takes a lot of finesse and you know knowing how you want to hold your brush or what to use and all the very fine sanding that goes in between each layer of those very clean finishes to Uh me that's that's hard so if i'm going for a finish like that i wouldn't reach for a milk paint or a chalk paint and that's not to say you can't achieve a very clean smooth finish with those i just think you have to work harder than necessary. Does that make sense? Because they have mm-hmm. a lot of texture to them and brush strokes. So I would reach for something like an acrylic based paint, like um, I like fusion or like ceramic based, like the Chippy Barn is really mm-hmm. nice for a smooth finish. Or um, my favorite is probably General Finishes Milk Paint, which is tricky, not to be confused with traditional milk paint that you mix with the powder. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in a can, it's not a powder formulation mm-hmm. so using a paint that's designed to have um to roll on very smoothly and finish very fine is going to make your life a lot easier now wow. the reverse of that with if i want to have a very textured chippy blendy finish i'm not going to reach for that say um acrylic based paint that's i would reach for for a very smooth finish because i have to work a lot harder If I want to distress it, those paints are very hard to distress, number one. Mm. Number two, I don't find that they blend as well as a milk or a chalk paint does. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's much easier to achieve that with those type of more porous matte paints. Because those other paints, the acrylics and whatnot, they are aimed for a smooth finish. Trying to get texture out of them is really hard and you have to layer and it just keeps wanting to self-level, self-leather, self-level, which you could really Mm -hmm. build up a finish with texture with a chalk paint or a milk paint. Does that make sense? Yes. No, uh, that's that's helpful the way you sort of diagram that out um, audibly. (laughs) That was good. Um, so it's very good advice. So we appreciate that. Jeannie, it's a lot of fun chatting with you. Each piece you work on just has a happy look to it. And your love for refinishing really shines through. Thank you so much, Lane. Today's refinishing tip comes from Ella with Elemental Furniture. Hi, my name's Ella from Elemental Furniture. You can find me on Instagram. I'm sharing my refinishing tip 
today on foils. If you've never used foils, I've just got a couple of quick tips that really helped me as a beginner. And I found out by lots of experimenting. Um, I would always follow your instructions. They usually come with the foils and with the glue. Um, my biggest tip is to make sure that your surface is really nice and smooth. So sand up through your grits till you get to a nice fine grit like a 320. So you've got a lovely smooth surface because anything that's rough or bumpy will show through the foils. Um, my second big tip is leave some excess around the edge so that you can get hold of it. And my big tip to avoid any sort of lines in that put or pulling the glue and making a difficult patch to fill and cover is to remove it really really quickly so whip that cellophane off once you've given that foil a really really good rub and um, make sure that your surface is nice and flat underneath Thank you, Ella. Great insight into using foils. I'm sure we'll have some refinishers taking your advice and trying foils out. Periodically here on the podcast, we'll be showcasing a question of the week and we'll have a few refinishers to answer the question. This week's question is, what did you do before you began refinishing furniture? This is such a tremendous community and it's always fun to learn more about each of you. Like finding out what you did before refinishing or in some cases what you continue to do while running a side job of refinishing. Thanks to Ashley, Kate, Joe, Jeannie and Bethany. We have such talent even beyond refinishing in the refinishing world, don't we? Hi everyone, it's Ashley from Blue Ren Interiors. Um, before I became a furniture finisher, I worked in logistics doing daily projections for Australia's largest small goods company. And before that, for what seems like a million years ago, I was a beauty therapist. Hi, this is Kate with Kate's Reclaimed. And before I was a furniture refinisher, I was a deaf and hard of hearing teacher. And I still am. I work for our school district about 28 hours a week and I get to do furniture as well. Thanks, Zebra. Hey, you all. I am Joe Rohal. I am an owner and artist at Click to Restore. Before I became a refinisher, I was an attorney. Hi, this is Jeannie with Blush Vintage Design, and before I was a furniture refinisher, I was an esthetician. So still working with my hands, but waxing and facials as opposed to working with furniture. Hi, this is Bethany from Wallflower Collection. You can find me on Instagram at wallflower underscore collection. Before I was a refinisher, I was a teacher along with being a wife and then a full-time stay-at-home mom. I've always loved being creative with fabric and paint, and as soon as I sold my first piece of refinished furniture, I was hooked. If you have a question you would like asked among your refinishing peers, send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra.com. If we answer your question on the podcast, you'll receive a free zebra paintbrush. Hey everyone, just a quick thank you for making this podcast such a success. We are super excited that our podcast remains in the top 2% of the art and design category. It's because of our guests, you all, our listeners, and listeners' reviews that make this possible. Speaking of reviews, we want to encourage you to leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To thank you for taking the time to leave your review, we will send a free brush your way as long as you screenshot your review. Email it to me, laneball at enjoyzebra.com, and it must be emailed to me by this Friday. Please provide your full name and mailing address. Your reviews make a big difference to keep our podcast at the top and help us to continue to reach more listeners.
boy, it is hot here in the south and it is quite humid, but it's summer and that is a good thing. Well, with August comes the continuation of the heat and in many places, August will be the hottest month of the year. We thought it would be appropriate for the August Zebra Review Contest theme to be summer colors. That means anything you paint in the month of August in yellows and or oranges can be entered. The entire piece does not have to be in those colors, but they do need to be the predominant colors on your piece. Tag your summer color pieces that were refinished from August 1st through August 31st, 2022 with hashtag the zebra review and make sure you include the at the beginning of the hashtag. Our four judges will be choosing three winners. Our judges are Jen of Perfectly Imperfect Furniture, Katie Cloud of Katie Cloud, Katie Scott of Salvage by Katie Scott, and Lawrence Regina of Portland Rose Studio. Our sponsors this month include Lily Moon Paint, the Lawless Hardware, Surf Prep Sanding, and Zebra Paint Brushes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebras Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode, along with information about today's guest, is also featured on enjoyzebra.com under the podcast tab at the bottom. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share them by sending your emails to me at laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and happy refinishing.